0: Hi, welcome to Chatting to a Friend. I'm Katie Friend, and in this podcast, I'm chatting to incredible women about their life experiences and adventures, as well as their thoughts on friendship, community, self care, setting boundaries, and how they keep healthy, happy, and sane. Frit Tam is a transgender Chinese adventurer uh, who loves exploring the outdoors in as many ways as possible. Climbing, hiking, skiing, cycling, paddleboarding, and most recently, rollerblading. As an adventure filmmaker and photographer with 10 years of shooting experience, he creates amazing adventure films under his film studio, Passion Fruit Pictures, whose sole mission is to add diversity and colour to the adventure industry. You may have noticed different pronouns in this intro to all the intros I've done before and probably will do henceforth. This is because when I invited Frit to be on the podcast, he was identifying as a gay woman. But by the time we did the interview, he had come out as transgender. However, I still really, really wanted to have Frit on the show because I love the passion with which he tells amazing stories of other people who are grossly underrepresented in the adventure film space. And I wanted to hear about his latest mission to travel all over England by rollerblade and bike to raise awareness for the LGBTQIA plus community. It's a very personal episode. I'm so super grateful to Frit for taking the time and spending the energy to really talk me through some things I had not necessarily had an opportunity to talk about before. And it's a really, it's fun, it's funny, but it's very vulnerable. I hope you really enjoy it and I hope you get something out of it and feel the enthusiasm and passion that comes across from Frit in this interview. Enjoy. Hi Frit, how are you doing? Thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me on, Katie. This is amazing. Absolute pleasure. Now, we have a little bit of explaining to do, I feel, because when I first came across you and your amazing filmmaking and your journeys and your adventures, you were identifying as a woman. And obviously, I interview women on my podcast, but there's been a small change or should I say a large change (laughs) since then. Would you like to talk me through a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, So you're absolutely right. Um, As of, I don't know, probably even a month ago, publicly, I still identified as a woman. But for a number of months, I have been questioning my gender. And um, a number of months doesn't sound very long, but when it's all you can think about. Mm. And it's something that you're heavily researching every day, mm. unpacking lots of childhood experiences that start to correlate um, with quite clear indicators that perhaps, you know, the gender that you identify with at that time may not fit anymore or may mm. not have ever fit. Um, mm. Then um, as of uh, the 31st of March, which was international Transgender day of visibility, mm. I decided that I would come out online um, at least on Instagram and tell the people who follow me that I identify as transgender. So mm. yeah, I guess a small change in terms of nothing physically mm. has changed. So if you were to if you were to have looked at me on the thirtieth of March when I hadn't announced anything online, and on the thirty first of March, I would have looked exactly the same, but <laughs> a big a big change in terms of a real shift in embracing something that is really fundamental to my identity, and mm. it was a really big move in terms of being able to go public about it and to mm. tell people about it and so that, yeah. was that quite scary um Not really. It was more exciting, which um, I listened to um, a friend of mine called Jen, who um, runs a a climbing company. Mm -hmm. And I listened to her on a a podcast where she was talking about her experiences. And she said that everything that she'd done in terms of her self-employment never felt scary. It felt exciting. And that um, was a real indicator for her of of things being right, of her heading in the right direction. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of how I felt about um, about sort of telling people on the 31st of March that I was more excited. So that could only mean that, that it was the right thing to do.
0: That that's a brilliant way of looking at it. I like that. Yes. And uh, so I, congratulations. Uh, Thank you. and have you felt, uh, you know, all the love and support that you hoped you would, how's the feedback been?
1: Yeah. Um, overwhelmingly positive, um I always I think the reason why I felt so excited was because I'm really lucky to have mm. such a great support network and I knew for the most part that most people that I have in my inner circle at the very really? least I knew that they would be supportive. Mm. Um but what I wasn't expecting was how many people in my outer circles were also just incredibly supportive mm. and would take the time to comment would take the uh, on the Instagram post would take the time to message me directly and just make sure that i knew that they were there for me Mm -hmm. so i only had one slightly dubious comment um Mm. in which somebody just commented saying nope still a woman and all my friends (sighs) jogged on it and um it got to a point where actually this person despite the fact that people were giving sort of free information to this person to -hmm. you know to counteract their points because they were sort of replying back to them too I just shut the thread down after a little yeah. while because they clearly weren't in a place where they wanted to be educated and so yeah. then all of my friends energies I realized was going into a bit of a a black hole where it wasn't being put to any good use um, but you know at the same time it was still really heartening for me to see how many people were willing to jump to my defence so that I Mm. didn't have to. Um so yeah, so in general, um in terms of sort of the Instagram platform, it's been really positive. Um in terms of sort of my personal life, so I've got my partner Frankie and she's she's been really the reason why I've managed to have this opportunity to really unpack and embrace this this side of me, or not this side of me, but all of me really. Uh, Without her, I don't know if I would have begun on this journey. She was really sort of the person who I sort of liken it to me trying to open up a set of really heavy gates and potentially been I've been trying to open this set of gates for a really long time. Mm. But I needed somebody else to help me give it that final push. Mm. And Frankie's been that person who has said, I'll help you this doesn't change how I feel about you. I love you. So let's just make you feel at ease and, and become the person that you really want to be. Um, and then does my parents, they have been really good about it. Um, it's taking them a, a little while to adapt and to mm. adjust to, um, essentially thinking about their child in the same way, but a different way. Yeah. Um, And because I'm an only child as well, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the the focus is on me, and so yeah, I sometimes feel like I put my parents through a bit of a rough ride (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I don't have another sibling to sort of Mm. um, to sort of deflect. Yeah, exactly, (laughs) exactly that. Um, So it's been a slow adjustment for them, Mm -hmm. and I am taking things a bit more tentatively with them to help mm. that to help them sort of go at a pace that's comfortable for them but overall they have been really supportive and they are learning about it in in their in their own way
0: good and i was wondering if that is uh, partly an age thing partly uh, you know a generational thing partly a cultural thing coming from a chinese background is there a a mixture or is it just because it's a difficult thing for parents to maybe perhaps understand
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess there's all of those things in the mix Um, and because everybody's an individual, so regardless of, you know, all these other external factors, they may still find it difficult to process or they might find it really easy to process just based on the individual themselves. But I do think that, you know, by and large, uh, there is a generational difference and, um, you know, when they were growing up, um, transgender uh, gender identities just weren't. I, I'm not going to say they weren't really a thing because they were a thing, but they perhaps weren't so prominently mm-hmm. um, spoken about and embraced as they are now. So for them, they're sort of starting from zero. Really, they're starting from scratch, having to learn about gender identities. And, and I remember talking to my mom about the difference between sexual orientation and gender identity, mm. and how they're not the same thing. Um, so. They're having to do a lot of learning, and mm. um, there is definitely a cultural um, impact at play too. In terms of, you know, um, I think it's changing now, but certainly in the past there there's there's sort of been quite a conservative. Um, Chinese culture in terms of you know you don't speak out of turn you don't cause a fuss Mm. you don't sort of air any of your dirty laundry in public everything is sort of keeping up appearances and you keep everything behind closed doors and so Mm. yeah so so for me to sort of publicly come out about being transgender for them seems like this really scary thing and they basically come from a place of wanting to look after me so they're concerned that if I sort of come out about something that um may put me in danger that just freaks them out (laughs) Um, yeah no
0: quite right well I'm a mum. I can get that
1: (laughs) yeah exactly and I and I totally understand it and it's it's it then just sort of means that we have to have discussions about how I feel confident to that the the decisions I've made are right for me and that. Mm. Um, I have this really good support network around me, and I may face—well, I will face adversity. Every mm-hmm. person faces adversity, and they just have to trust that I will make good decisions in order to alleviate um, that adversity in the in the best way that I know how.
0: Yeah, and it must be must be reassuring for them to know that, as you said, you put your inner circle and your partner and everybody—you know—that you've got this sort of bolstering, this support that is so important.
1: Definitely. I think they are heartened by how supportive my friends are. And I've always been really fortunate to be someone who's always had a good support network. Mm. Um, But because they're my parents and I'm still their only child,
0: Mm -hmm. there's definitely
1: a parental, I don't know what the word is. um, There's still a a sense of a parental responsibility Mm. that they want to take care of me. Yeah. And then there's still the teenage frit who really doesn't want to be smothered. <laughs> so, yeah. um, it's a really interesting dynamic that can tip yeah. dif- different ways at different times. But yeah. the bottom line is, is that I know that they love me, they care about me. And um, as much as I have a timeline that I want to live my life at, I, mm the main people that I am aware of and that I will adapt my timeline for might be my parents. Mm. Um, and I don't do that for many people, but, um, yeah, they're, they're always a consideration that, that I try and, and have, um, whilst I'm making big decisions like this anyway.
0: Yeah well that's that is huge you're right it is a uh, uh, as you said small but huge and uh, as I say congratulations I you know it's it's really interesting for me to learn because I have two kids and I don't know what direction their lives are going to take so I find it really interesting to hear about how sort of the thought process and the you know everything that goes behind it although I suspect in 10 minutes I've not heard it anything close to everything that goes behind it but you know just to have a some kind of understanding and a conversation I think it's super important
1: definitely and I think what's really cool is even in if you can just have a 10-minute conversation with somebody at least you've sort of gotten your foot in the door in terms of beginning to be able to understand beginning to be able mm. to empathize and I think that is I think that's key for any kind of level of understanding that we want about other people's life experiences. And Mm. I find it really heartening when I'm in, for example, in rooms in Clubhouse, uh, which I love. I love Mm. Clubhouse at the moment. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. And I'll be in LGBTQIA plus rooms and then there will be somebody who is a parent who comes up to the stage in inverted commas and um, mm-hmm. tells the speakers that that they're not transgender themselves, but they have a transgender child and they're just trying to find mm-hmm. more resources so that they can support them, so that they know, um, so that they understand a bit more about what they're going through and what they may um, have to go through in future. If they, for example, if they're young, then they may not have hit puberty yet, so you know what's the best. Um, What's the best sort of medical intervention for when they do hit puberty age? And I love that. I love mm. having these parents um, come onto mm. these platforms to find out more information for themselves so that they understand how they can best support their child. I think that's incredible. Mm. And and it's not that no one's saying that anyone has to be an expert on anything, but Mm. particularly from my perspective of being early on in my transgender journey all I ask is that people be respectful if they have Mm. um if they have contrary opinions but also that if they can and if they have the energy to just begin to educate themselves it just again like just have a 10 minute conversation with somebody or listen to 10 minutes of a podcast or you know it doesn't have to be
0: yeah or google it
1: yeah or spend 10 minutes (laughs) googling it it doesn't take very long yeah to um just begin to to um pick up sort of small bits of information that introduce you to somebody else's journey and experiences so yeah i think 10 minutes is actually more than good enough to begin that journey
0: all right well thanks for being on the show that's uh no just kidding (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> bye bye. then we're done no <laughs> well thank you thank you for talking to me about it because uh, you know i'm i don't know how it feels but i should imagine that these you know little by little these conversations will hopefully be you know easier and and more comfortable and and we don't know each other so i'm very grateful for you to for taking the time to explain but i want to talk to you because it, i'm going to talk to you about your filmmaking first if i may of course i watched your sort of seven minute film the wanderlust women yes. Because, and it's actually, I want to come onto that one first because I do want to talk to you about Joe Mosley and the stand up paddleboard. <laughs> but I want to talk about this one first because it kind of links into what you were just saying about people being educated or not wanting to be educated or people spending energy trying to educate people who don't want to. Um, because I found it absolutely fascinating and it's not something I'd ever seen or thought about before. And I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about it and how you got in touch with Amira and her mum and just how it came about and and what is the purpose behind Passion Fruit Pictures and bringing different views and different people and different areas of life into
1: adventure films. So I'll start with Amira's film because that's the first thing you asked me about. So The Wonderlust Women is a seven minute short film, as you just said, about two women called Amira Patel and Aisha Yilmaz. Um, Aisha is Amira's mother. So essentially I first came across them because Amira was starting to build up quite um, a, a big prominence on social media as a Muslim hiker who hikes whilst wearing the veil. And, I just loved her positivity. I loved that she was going out into these big, expansive places and she flies a drone, so she would get her drone out and um, post these really beautiful reels on Instagram of the locations that she was hiking in. And then she essentially, long story short, set up a hiking group, um, not just for Muslim hikers, but of course because she is Muslim herself and a lot of the women who come on her hikes – I think really look up to her. So, mm. you know, uh, the 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 Wonderlust Women is the name of the film, but also the name of Amira's um, hiking group. And it's predominantly um, it predominantly is made up of of Muslim hikers, but also um, essentially any um, people of color are more than welcome to join on their hikes. Mm. So I found out about Amira, had followed her for a while, and. Whilst I was setting up Passion Fruit Pictures, so I'll come on to that for a minute, which is that Mm. um, Passion Fruit Pictures is my film studio um, that that makes adventure films with a sole mission of adding color and diversity to adventure Mm. filmmaking. And the purpose behind it is because, uh, as many of your listeners will probably know, we only really see a tiny slither of the population being represented Mm. in adventure films. There is a classic trope, of one particular individual who will be a sponsored athlete who will then get sponsored to go on this big adventure and it will be the sort of big epic I must conquer kind of narrative Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and the more that I was feeling disconnected from that myself as being someone who does not embody any of that classic trope
0: Mm. I also
1: began to wonder about other people and very quickly found that there were plenty of other adventurers and outdoors people who did not fit that mould, who I felt that their stories were just being completely ignored. So they were Mm. out there, some of them were out there doing incredible things, travelling all over the world and fulfilling that kind of, you know, I must conquer kind of narrative. Mm. But again, I never heard about them. So a really good example of that um, is a Japanese mountaineer called Yunko Tobai, who is the Mm -hmm. first woman to have summited Everest. She's Japanese and I didn't hear about her until a couple of years ago when I was Googling Mm -hmm. to try and find who the first woman was who summited Everest. You know, we all hear about Edmund Hillary, who was the first man who summited Everest and his story is covered in films and in books and in TV shows. But where's Junko to buy story? Um, mm. And that really irked me. So I thought, um, I'm a filmmaker. I want to make films about um, the adventure space and about the outdoors. So I want to make films that resonate with me and that um, have the narratives and, and the protagonists that that I've been searching for. Mm-hmm. So. I also decided that as much as I want to make big adventure films that have these sort of big epic um, challenges and adventures, I also wanted to promote and share the stories of people who may be working in a more localised area, but their impact is still just as strong, if not potentially bigger. And that's sort of where Amira came in, where I Mm -hmm. saw that she had essentially a following of more than a thousand Muslim women who she was taking out on hikes mm. and I just thought this is incredible where's her story she is she has sort of um she's she's been featured in quite a number of things now but um
0: mm-hmm.
1: when I was filming with her um it still felt like quite a a, a small thing um and I was just really lucky I suppose that mm. I managed to get in touch with her that she replied <laughs> um, <laughs> we had a few that was a challenge, I find yes, and <laughs> also you know at the same time I'm like, I get it you're busy, you don't need to reply, and you know this is a big mm. time commitment and it's a bit sort of out of the blue to be asked to have a film made about you um, mm. I think can really sort of um, it can it can it can make people feel nervous um and not wholly comfortable with the idea. Amira yeah. embraced it
0: though. She was like, Yeah, that'd be great. I'd love to. And then I found out about Especially if you might you might wonder what is the motivation, especially you know, as she's representing a very different, as you say, a very different slice of the outdoor space. Definitely. I think it
1: it potentially might help um with some um protagonists of of films that I want to make that, mm. that I am not the classic trope or yes. um, the elite adventurer or even just um the um the main individuals who who receive funding for adventure films um yeah. i don't know why i'm I'm being so sort of cautious about the grizzly bearded white men let's just say it because they are i don't know why i was being so <laughs> cautious then i just sometimes i find it's just it's more concise because you, you have to list so many things like so you yeah. know young white able-bodied uh, most likely middle class or higher yeah. class. Um, Privileged, cis- educated. Yeah. Cisgendered, heterosexual men.
0: Um, I was listening to Emily Chappell being interviewed by Matt Pycroft. Have you heard that? No, I haven't. That's on my
1: list.
0: Oh, it's so good. It's so good. It's very powerful. And there's a lot to unpack in there as as the expression goes. But she was saying that actually, she sort of kind of captured how I feel about it, is that I really like those m- I really like those films like you know and the books that go with them we all love them you know there's nothing wrong with saying you love watching the grizzly you know bearded white man doing his thing but it's just not representative of everything that's happening
1: completely and I've been known to say in the past that it's not that I want to eradicate or overlook their achievements but mm. I still think that that what they've done is really impressive mm. and and really inspirational but I'm fed up and bored of only seeing the same narratives and the same characters. Um, And so until we reach a point where there is no issue with funding, where there is no issue with the diversity of narratives and faces and abilities and ages that we see, um, then my focus for passion fruit pictures has to be to try and increase the diversity that we see in adventure films. And it it does, it. Yeah. it does sort of annoy me that I have to, to some degree, be exclusive, um, you know, mm-hmm. because I, I feel that there is a gap that needs to be bridged. Um, I'd love to live in a world where I don't have to do that.
0: I, I completely get that because the reason, you know, I feel similarly about this podcast because, you know, there are so many amazing stories out there of Everybody, but I chose a very specific, you know, as you say, sort of to be slightly exclusive because I thought, well, yeah, everybody hears about all the big grizzly white bearded men, bearded white men. (laughs) And that's why, you know, because women tell, have amazing stories and they don't get told often enough. Um, I was just interested in something to, wanted to pick up on something because you've mentioned it and Jenny Tuff mentioned it in an Instagram post the other day about the conquering thing. It's always been about conquering, conquering mountains, conquering lands, conquering. It's quite a male construct in Mm -hmm. general. That's what we sort of tend to think about. So what is the narrative? And people seem to love it. You know, that's that's why we see it a lot. What is the narrative that you would like to tell that is not the the conquering? I don't know if I'm articulating myself terribly well yeah, but do no, you understand what I mean I What what is it what is the narrative that you think will draw people in that will make them go yeah this is great the whole big gnarly mountain man thing but this is a different way of looking at adventure and the outdoor space
1: definitely um that's a really good question because I'm not adverse to that narrative um and me as a filmmaker mm. I would love to tell those stories of really rugged wild landscapes and um you know filming somebody overcoming something in that landscape Mm. but i don't think mother nature is there for us to conquer so Mm -hmm. i i would never want to film a protagonist who essentially shows a lack of respect to mother nature by thinking Mm. that we these tiny little dots that you know (laughs) roam around on the earth
0: can Mm. conquer
1: the world Mm. um what i do feel we can conquer if we need to conquer anything is our inner selves Mm. and so for me the narratives that i'm always drawn to are yes the adventure because i Partly, I just love being in these landscapes and filming in, mm. in these environments. It's an incredible privilege to be able to do that. Um, but the journey I'm always looking for is the inner journey. So, why mm. did you want to do the adventure? Why did you want to do the challenge? What do you think the challenge is going to be like? And then at the end, did the challenge meet those expectations? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, what did what did it reveal about yourself? Um, so, the inner journey is more the 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 story that that I'm looking for, and you know, we'll come onto brave enough um, later on. Mm. Essentially, I think the reason why brave enough has done so well is because the challenge itself was challenging for Joe, but it was the much deeper connections to the theme of motherhood and mm. to um, and to her acknowledgement of. I need to do this for myself. And as a woman in my 50s, I was never brought up to think Mm. that I could do something like this or that even I deserved to do this because first and foremost, I have to be a mother. Um, And so I have to be there for other people and then I can be there for myself. But as we all know, you never find time to be there for yourself if you put other
0: people first oh do you know we're, we're, let's talk about it now because uh just so uh, everyone listening knows brave enough is your most recent film that you made with joe mosley and it's about her age i think she was what 54 early 50s anyway when yeah. she made the film is that right yeah uh when you made the film with her uh paddleboarding f- across england from liverpool to ghoul I think, yeah is that right that's correct yeah and being the first woman to do so and I watched it the other night on one of your screenings and I messaged you at the time saying I'm absolutely howling because (laughs) it just, you know, the story of her, it's not the same story. We don't have the same story. You know, I haven't been divorced. I haven't had a miscarriage, you know, but there are so, there were so many similarities in terms of getting to a stage of motherhood where you just go, who even am I anymore? I don't know what, what I love or what I like or why I'm doing this. And it's been, you know, and you, you, even when I say it out loud, I think to myself, how, what, how did you, what? (laughs) And yet to hear her say exactly the same thing. And again, it was one of the reasons I started this podcast, you know, to find something I loved and something I was super passionate about. And just that realization that similar to her, you know, I didn't, start crying in the biscuit aisle at Tesco but I cried in a lot of other places for (laughs) a lot of the same reasons just going I've lost myself and I don't know how to restart and it was just honestly it was just a beautiful beautiful film and it resonated so massively and I'm talking far too much but I just cannot tell you how much I absolutely loved it and how much it resonated with me have you had other mums of my vintage telling you the same thing vintage (laughs) (laughs) Um, it's a good word (laughs) because no the reason I use the word vintage is because you're absolutely spot on we were brought up like that we were brought up by women who were brought up like that Mm -hmm. that put your kids first and not everyone not all mums are like that and not all women of my age are like that I know that I'm not generalizing but a lot of us that is what we were brought up to believe that you were there for your kids first and foremost definitely and
1: It's not to say that there's anything bad about that, but what I learned from Joe, so I can't speak for Joe exactly. Um, I can only speak in terms of what she taught me. And when we were on the trip together, I was with her for eight out of the 11 days that uh, she did her challenge for. And we spent so much time together um, and we taught each other um, about our different generations. And, And some of the things that she taught me were about what it was like to grow up um, in the years when she grew up and what society was like and what the expectations of women was like. Mm. Um, and whilst we have to a degree evolved from mm. those expectations, those narrow expectations, I still think that they are very much there today. And so um, whilst I feel as if a lot of women of Joe's age in those midlife years really resonated with with the film i also think there are a lot of younger women um Mm. people in general who also resonated with this idea of sort of these narrow societal expectations and how that can really negatively impact your mental health and Mm. your sense of your sense of well-being and also self-confidence um but coming back to your question of have i had um feedback from other other women uh sort of of a similar age to joe yes i've had loads i've had so many women message me and say, this is the film that I've needed to see. Um, Mm -hmm. This, I completely um, resonated with every part of Joe's story and seeing Mm -hmm. somebody who is so down to earth, so friendly, so approachable Mm -hmm. do a challenge like this that was also close to home. So that was a thing that Joe really wanted to promote was showing a local adventure. And the, the canal that she paddleboarded on went through her hometown. So Mm. three of the um 11 or 12 nights that she was um on the challenge she slept in her own home yeah. so um great but one of my best bits of feedback was from one of my friends who was doing lockdown at his parents' house and he watched the film with his mum and dad and and he said that as soon as the film started his mum was already in in tears mm-hmm. um and After the film, they had this really big discussion about why the film moved her so much. And he said Mm. to me, I learned so much about my mum in terms of how much she felt that she'd had to put her dreams on the back burner, how Mm. she felt that she had to essentially just wait until at some point in her life, you know, decades later, she could put these dreams back into some kind of realisation. And then her next question was just, where's our nearest canal? Because she all of a sudden (laughs) just wanted to go and paddleboard. They don't even have a paddleboard, but she wanted to to find out where the nearest canal was because she felt as if she'd seen someone who resonated so much with her do something that then she felt she could go on to do too. Mm. And I think that's what adventure films ultimately should be, is this visual image of here's somebody who does look like you or who represents the same values as you close Mm. enough to the point where you then watch their accomplishment and you think oh maybe I could do that too it's that sort of leg up that I think we all need sometimes to dream bigger but then feel like it's achievable and oftentimes if you don't see yourself reflected then don't feel as if those dreams and goals are for you. So already you're limited by a lack of representation.
0: Well, it's the whole, if you can't see it, you can't be it type. Exact thing, which is a little bit of a cliche these days, but it's um, interesting you say that because quite a lot of some of the feedback I get from my podcast is that, well, you know, it's all very well. They're around the world yachtsmen or they've yachtswoman, I beg your pardon, or they've, you know, Scaled Everest, or they've done this or that thing, but I can't, I can't do that, or you know that's not of interest to me. So it's really interesting. That's I think why I loved um, your movie, your film, sorry, because although I have done some kind of big stuff, and I've got some other big stuff (laughs) in the diary, one of the things I've realised as I get older is that it doesn't have to be the big stuff you know, you can be inspired by people doing stuff, but it's, as you said, it's about finding that intrinsic motivation about the thing that makes you go, I could really do this. And it doesn't matter that it's not Everest. It doesn't matter that it's not the Atlantic. It's something that is challenging me on a personal basis that takes me slightly out of my comfort zone or even massively out of my comfort zone. But it's more about what is a challenge for me. And that could be anything as long as it gives you that feeling of I'm regaining some sense of self, some sense of me. Absolutely. I could not agree more. I think we're still on this back
1: end of some kind of colonial exploration Mm. um, phase that we've had in history. And, um, you know, there's always this issue with expeditions you know, having Mm. to be bigger and better, challenges being bigger and better, going for world records. And it diminishes everything that you get from, as you say, challenges that are just challenging for you. So Mm. it doesn't matter if somebody else might find it a walk in the park. For you, it required Mm. you to train. It required you to visualize. It required you to fundraise. You know,
0: at Mm, the end of the the day all those things. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And so, you know, it's, it's a case of, you're right. It's, it's, it's on an individual basis. And what I find frustrating in the adventure industry and in the filmmaking industry is that we're still a little bit stuck in this. Mm. If it's not bigger and better, if it's not this huge epic, then it's not worth some people's time yeah so you can you can see why you know a lot of people when in sort of outdoors and adventure social media groups that I'm in people will start their messages with so I'm just you know looking for some advice for this little thing that I'm doing already they'll just call it little yeah Um, and it's because they're comparing it to something like for example yeah summiting Everest or you know around the world trip but if you don't have the means to do those things then what's you know at the end of the day, actually, some people don't even want to some people don't want to no care.
0: well, that's exactly it no nobody like i one of my friends says, "Why do you do all these crazy things?" And you know everyone has their own why, but you know some people are just not it's not their thing, Absolutely. but you know I truly, truly believe that everybody should have the opportunity to push themselves to find out what is their thing. you know, push yourself. I interviewed somebody the other day who said you know, unless you push yourself, how do you know what you're capable of? And that can, but I truly believe that that is completely different for every single person.
1: Agreed completely. And I guess we don't live in a society that we kind of live in a a dichotomy of, we sort of acknowledge that we're all individuals and yet we're not treated like individuals. Yeah. So um, you receive mixed messages and that can be really difficult and I've definitely experienced that in my life where I've compared either something I'm doing or the way Mm. that I'm behaving or something that I'm saying or the things that I'm achieving to, um, to the wrong things. Um, and it's, it's a societal conditioning that is hard to shake off.
0: Yeah. And it is hard because I live in this place where you literally cannot move without bumping into a world champion you know, free rider or, (laughs) you know, wingsuiter or, or whatever, like proper, this is a hardcore gnarly environment where I live. And so when I took up sport age 38, I was a bit like, oh, I am so shit. Like, I'm (laughs) really like, what am I even doing? It's just really embarrassing. And it's taken me about 10 years. And of course I've done, as I've said, like some big stuff because I wanted to, because I kind of, thought that's what, you know, I have wanted to, I've never been forced into anything, but I really, it's taken me 10 years to go, doesn't matter. Like, it's just the stuff that I want to do, whether it's big or small or people know about it or don't know about it is just what pushes me. And I, you know, you're absolutely right. There's still this hangover for, or especially here where it's like bigger, faster, gnarlier, more dangerous, more scary. And you're like, actually, I just want to go walking for three days with me and the dog and And that's kind of hard enough right now for me because that's, you know, I've got some things I need to work through and that'll be hard enough just to be with my own company. You know, just does that make sense? You know what I'm saying? Yeah,
1: absolutely. I You just saying that reminded me of um, last January when I was in Chamonix. And mm-hmm. um, so Frankie, my partner, um has done seasons winter seasons, in Chamonix for a number of years, and mm. last January she was out there, so I joined her out there for the first time. I'd never been to Chamonix before. I'd never even been to a mountainous region like this before mm. um, and I learned to ski whilst I was there, as mm-hmm. so I'd never skied before, so at the age okay, of cool. thirty one I learned to ski and um I remember at the time being so overwhelmed by the place by the people mm. um lots of frankie's friends are just these incredible mountain guides or skiers or yeah like you say sports people who are really mm. accomplished and they literally would talk just i wouldn't even understand the sentences that they're saying <laughs> the, yes. the, the terminology of the lingo was just like i don't know what you're talking about um and i remember leaving Chamonix or, or actually, whilst I was in Chamonix, but also as I was leaving, I was thinking, you know, I was calling it big life, um, mm. and then I remember, and I called it big life because it was really pushing my comfort zone. I mean, I don't speak French mm. either, so um, yeah, being in this environment which was just wholly alien to me, knackered me out. Um, so I called it big life because yeah, it was it was really all encompassing and, and overwhelming. And then later on, I realized that there was something really wrong about the fact that I was calling it big life because then I was comparing it, it to something mm-hmm. else, which I would then call small life. Mm. And something I had to work through was just trying to call all of it just life. So yeah. I had this period of time in my life where I didn't know a place like Chamonix and now I have a A time in my life where I do know places like Chamonix and I'm doing activities and sports in these places and engaging with the environment and mother nature in a whole new way and it's just life that's just the trajectory that things have taken me in and yes to a degree a part of me still wishes that I'd learned how to ski when I was four I was doing (laughs) the airplane wings at the same time Um, Pizza and chips. Yeah, exactly. Pizza and <laughs> chips. And then Frankie would, Frankie and I had developed this new term, which was big chips, which is basically just parallel. Just keep them really, just keep your feet closer to it together, keep them parallel, and then just zoom down here for as far as you can go. And then, yeah, sort of. Um, stop or pizza or whatever it is that you want to do.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: exactly. And so. So,
0: pizza and chips for anyone listening is snowplow, <laughs> which is your skis with the tips together like a V, and chips is when they're to, uh, just parallel yeah. to each other, just in case anyone's going, the what? <laughs> <laughs> you ate pizza and chips on the mountain? Oh, well, that sounds great. <laughs> I mean, I did. And <laughs> which it is also great, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um,
1: but yeah, exactly. So, um, it's taken me a little while actually to get over this mental block of thinking about my life in very set phases
0: Mm. where
1: I don't turn my back on what I used to call small life um and I don't always throw myself into what I used to call big life there has to be a balance where I just appreciate Mm. everything that I'm going through at that time um, and just call it life so yeah that was um there was a really lovely point that you brought up that I just wanted to sort of pick up on
0: no, qu- quite right. That's what it's all about, chatting. Um, but and so leads on quite nicely, I think, to uh, the next chapter, the next challenge. Because how are you balancing? You know, it's a it's a fairly big challenge. You're learning to inline skate. Oh, yeah. Is that the right the right terminology? I'm so yes. not a skater, and and you're going to do a big journey. So tell us all about that. So uh,
1: yes, it is a big challenge. Um, <laughs> it's a big challenge for me. If there was a Mm. professional inline skater, they'd probably find this a doddle. Um, So essentially... But as we know, that's not the point. But no, that's not the point. And it's kind of... (laughs) I said it just as a point of interest of, Mm. um, again, like, to a degree, my story is a story that I would have wanted to see in an an adventure Mm, film, where you see just someone trying really hard. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And so... um, my challenge is called Glide for Pride. And mm-hmm. the reason why it's called Glide for Pride is essentially because I've set myself a rollerblading and cycling for where I can't rollerblade challenge, um, mm-hmm. where I will be crossing England, zigzagging across England, um, visiting LGBTQIA plus historical sites of important charities and significant mm-hmm. people. And the aim of the trip is to essentially dispel this myth that the LGBTQIA plus community don't belong within mainstream society. Mm. Um, And there is a real issue of belonging within the community in terms Mm. of not feeling as if we belong with general society. Um, And a lot of it has come from mainstream media providing huge amounts of misinformation and um, groups of people who will... Um, excuse their bad behavior, their sort of discriminatory behavior um, mm. based on sort of what they seem to deem to be, you know, a, a particular human right. Mm. And mm. Um, and so I imagine um, someone who is early in their journey of understanding their sexual orientation or their gender identity mm-hmm. and already that's a really vulnerable time. You're yeah. trying to learn and discover and eventually embrace a part of you that is really fundamental to who you are mm. and if you're just being swamped with messages of um you know that that this community are monsters that they are predators mm. um that they mm. have um, ulterior motives um and then you know you you receive you know images of hate crimes there's a large part of you that then becomes really fearful and doesn't want to embrace that side of you mm. that doesn't feel like they can comfortably um, just be the person that they are and present to the world the person that they are in the way that they want to present themselves. Yeah. And so, but when I was researching for my trip, I found so many LGBTQIA plus narratives up and down the country mm. um, in terms of historical figures or people who work for charities currently. And what I've found from that is just that I've been really heartened by this idea of there being people up and down the country who are who have a similar narrative and similar experiences. And And essentially, if you are someone early in your journey, then you can reach out to these people, but you just might not know how to, or you might be fearful mm-hmm. about the consequences of it. So I wanted to promote these stories because I had to research the stories in order to find them. Yeah, Other people might not have access to the internet, for example, to do that. I want these mm-hmm. stories to be more readily available so that if you're, no matter where you live in the country, that's my aim is to try and show that there is somebody of the LGBTQIA+ community who lives Mm -hmm. near you or is based near you or has lived, sorry, or who has lived near you in the past. So at least you don't feel as if you're so alone. And that is often Mm. a big issue within the community itself.
0: And how are you planning to go about that? I know you're visiting. So you're visiting the people, the charities and the places of importance. How are you going to actually spread the word? I assume you're filming. Yes, And then (laughs) what's happening after that?
1: (laughs) Yeah, so um, I'm going to be doing some self-filming. My partner Frankie also films, so she will also be filming me. And then we have our wonderful friend Rachel Sarah, who is also an adventure filmmaker, who is going to be coming along uh, for most of the trip and then editing the film. So Mm -hmm. we have a timeline of hopefully having the film all wrapped up and ready for distribution by um, February, March next year. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. And then the film will go into film festivals and then we'll be able to release it. Um, mm-hmm. I'll, of course, sort of be documenting the journey on my social media and mm-hmm. on the Glide for Pride Facebook page. So mm-hmm. we're definitely aiming to keep people informed with every minute detail of the journey. I want people to be part of the journey in terms of either following along virtually or mm-hmm. coming out and uh, meeting me on um on my trip so um, how exciting I know it's going to be so good my one of my favorite things is meeting new people I just I love mm. meeting people and to have people join me on my trip I think would just make it just a just a way better trip I, I can't
0: wait for that element of it uh that's cool I had a question you said you said you wanted to reach people who don't have the internet how will you how what's your plan to achieve that because you know a lot of this i know there'll be film festivals and so on but what what is the plan for the people who may really need it but don't have all these resources
1: that's a really good question so um i'd really love to work with charities to make mm-hmm. this film a part of something a part of a resource that they can give mm-hmm. out to people um so for example we might go back to producing dvds of the film mm. um, so that there are hard copies for people to watch. Yeah, um, I'd love this information to be written up somewhere in terms of a book. Mm-hmm. um so that um all these stories are just collated into a book that's easily accessible for somebody i'd love for it to be in a library i'm, I'm a big fan of libraries so oh, yeah. um love a library <laughs> <laughs> i'd love for if the library is still open within the local mm. area I'd, you know a, a really ideal thing to do would be to have the book um available to to take out from a library mm. um But yeah, I mean, the issue of the internet is a big issue in terms of we rely on it so much Mm. now in order to get our information that um, trying to get our heads around, you know, how someone without the internet can access information. Actually, now is really difficult for me to comprehend. Um, But yeah, there's definitely things in place where me and my team are talking about how to get the film out there and how to get these stories out there. So yeah. that it is as accessible for people um, who don't have the internet, who are perhaps blind or or deaf, and you know just accessibility mm. issues, yeah. Yeah. so that um, they can still hear about these stories, and again, hopefully, feel as if they have a community of people that they do belong with, and that they do yeah. generally belong in wider society.
0: Yeah, because I was just I was think- listening to you earlier and thinking to myself you know, it's hard enough coming to terms with who you are when you, in adverted commas, fit the mold, you know, you fit what is kind of expected in the mainstream. And it just, I just really love the fact that that's who your audience is for people to know kids. As I say, you know, I have kids heading in towards their teens and, you know, I don't know where life is going to take them. And just to have that sort of somebody you can see that, you think, oh, right. Okay. That's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm feeling. That's that's where I can go and 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 find, you know, someone who understands me. I I, yes. I think that's really admirable. Thank you. Um for me it's come from a personal
1: place of mm. I've often felt like I've not belonged. Um yeah. being Chinese for a start. So I remember mm-hmm. saying when I was younger that I just wanted to be white or that Mm. I forgot that I was Chinese. I would often tell people, oh, I forget I'm Chinese all the time. I just think that I'm white. Um, And that's, you know, a real shame in terms of wanting to turn my back on such a rich heritage um, to just want to fit in. That's all. A lot of the times that's all you want to do is just fit in. But when you're trying to fit in to such a narrow uh, requirement um, that this society is built for, um it's it's really damaging for your self-image and for your mental health. Yeah. And um yeah, it's really interesting that I, I feel like, you know, I've spent sort of a really few number of years in my formative years Uh, developing certain conditionings and habits and now I feel like I'm spending the rest of my life having to undo (laughs) those (laughs) habits and those conditionings. My best friend when I was in my teens once asked me Mm. what did I find was the most hardest um, area of my life um, that that I would often face discrimination against Mm. and the three options were being Chinese being gay so at the time I identified as a gay woman mm-hmm. and being a woman and I said without a hesitation being a woman was mm. one of the hardest um areas of my life that mm. I would face discrimination against more readily on a daily basis and Wow, that's interesting so what's after that I kind of felt as if essentially that that was when i really came um to realize just how narrow the um just how narrow the the um demographic of people that this society is set up for Mm. um if there are those three things there yeah um but yeah the essentially 50% of the population was the, you know, the, the, sorry, the, um, category in which 50% of the population fit into is the one that I found the most prevalent in terms of day-to-day discrimination. Mm. That really just sort of brought it to the fore for me in terms of, Mm. um, yeah, just how, um, unsuitable this society is for the majority of people. Um and yeah. it's interesting that we talk about minorities. Uh I really don't like the word minorities mm. uh, when we're talking about um people who essentially aren't white. Um but yeah, it's interesting that we talk that we, you know, call um categories of people minorities. Yeah. But essentially it's it, it the monor- the real minority is really the 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 um demographic of people that this patriarchal society is set up for.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I had a question I wrote down before we started speaking. And it's sort of, it, it's, um, I we kind of touched on it about the people that don't want to be educated. But I just wanted to ask, do you find when you are doing these, you know, making your films and you have your following on Instagram, do you find you're often preaching the, to the converted? You know, people who already believe in sporting, what it is that you're doing in trying to broaden their horizons broaden their understandings of of how they were brought up things that they were brought up to believe how do you and if so how do you reach beyond them and how do you no, I'm going to ask you the second question next go yeah there's a third question actually (laughs) so do you often (laughs) find that you're uh, preaching to the converted and and if so how do you sort of reach beyond that
1: to a large degree yes and I think there's nothing wrong with that in terms of acknowledging that I need to know that I have support. Mm. So I don't think that, um, preaching to the converted or being in an echo chamber is all that bad sometimes because Mm. it's really exhausting to feel like you're constantly swimming against the current. Mm. So, um, it's a really good place to start in terms of mm-hmm. bolstering your confidence and feeling like, yes, this mm. is a good film. Great. I'm glad that all of, you know, the people who are in my support network and who I, who, the, you know, they're who I really trust in terms of their opinions and feedback, they all think it's a great film. Great. Mm. Now let's push it out further. Mm. Um, that's where film festivals are really important yep. because um, film festivals draw in a whole range of, Audience demographics. Mm. And so then the film could then be shown to somebody who might never Google search Passion Fruit Pictures or mm-hmm. Google search diversity in the outdoors. Yeah. Um and then beyond that, um, again it's more public publicity of trying to um get the story and get the film into more mainstream platforms of maybe the BBC or mm um yeah pushing it out further and wider um yeah. and then also you know being on podcasts like this where for example mm. um I've found that lots of people have listened to either myself on podcasts or the people that I filmed on podcasts mm. and um yes to a degree it takes a little bit of intention on their side to read the title of the episode and want to listen to it mm. but again these stories are reaching people who might never that who it might never have reached so for example there's lots of people who don't watch films so yeah. they might not find out about a mirror story through watching a film but they might find out about a mirror story or joe's story through listening to a podcast yeah so um at the moment the way that i try and tackle it is that i try and put the film and the stories out into as many different types of platforms as possible mm. um, into sort of social media groups as well. I'm in a lot of social media groups, for example on Facebook and I try to mm. sort of to a degree plug my films um, and the protagonist story um, stories through uh, mm-hmm. to those groups. Um, I'd love for it, for there to be a, a, a concrete pathway of you do this, yeah. and you do this Um but yeah, all. for the most part, I just, <laughs> for the most part, I, I do as much as I can. And then I rely on my support network to also share far yeah. and wide um, and yeah, just sort of see how it, how it goes and what conversations come up from it and then engage in those conversations if I have the energy to.
0: Yeah. So you've mentioned, actually, you've touched on the third question a couple of times now and you just said it, my, the the word I wrote down was energy because it takes an enormous amount of energy to be, to just to to be in the situation you're in, as we've discussed. You know, there's this constant feeling of not fitting in or trying to, you know, be part of a community that perhaps doesn't isn't, you know, accepted all the time. And you know, how do you maintain the energy? How do you look after yourself so that you? Are doing a little bit like what, what Joe and I suffered from as mums, but in a different way. You know, you having to put yourself first. How do you look after yourself and maintain that energy?
1: Essentially, um, my my self care in general is a bit higgledy piggledy, but <laughs> um, the um, the thing that <laughs> the thing that has really helped ultimately throughout all of it is to constantly make a list of my needs and um, the Sometimes things come up that are really unexpected. You know, there are some things where I'm like, okay, yeah, drink two liters of water. That is a need. And I do genuinely Mm -hmm. feel better for it. Mm -hmm. Um, But there are other things like, for example, um, so during lockdown, it was um, make sure to um, call a friend at least once a week Mm. um, because I was becoming really disconnected. And Mm. as somebody who identifies as an extrovert, I really need that energy from other people. Mm -hmm. Um, and being able to identify those things and they do change based on where you are in your life and what you're doing so making always sort of making a list of your basic needs and then try and then planning those needs into your diary
0: first before you schedule in work yes so when are you starting your adventure what's the chat when you go off when you're off so my launch date is the
1: 15th of may and mm-hmm. um, so I have um, as of this date of this recording I have just over a month mm-hmm. um, and then I am on the road for about two months and my wow estimated end date is the 17th or the 24th of July I've kind of given myself a bit of a leeway in case mm-hmm. I need one but I wanted to end on a Saturday this week is when I'm trying to really nail more parts of uh, my route I feel like I've been a little bit lax with it and I don't know why that is. I don't know if it's because <laughs> it's it makes it more concrete or whether I just feel a little bit blasé about it. I feel like I'll just kind of <laughs> manage to wing it somehow. But uh this week it's in my diary that I I'm, I'm going to solidify more parts of my route. So, but in general the the general gist of it is that I start up near Newcastle. I um, work my way west into Carlisle, down into the Lake District, then I go east again, uh-huh. and I do the sort of bouncing across the country east to west, um and then end up on the west coast, uh southwest coast, and then work my way east along the south coast, and then end in London. Wow. That's the wow, the, the current. And how land. many miles is that? Roughly? Well, it's somewhere between two thousand to two and a half thousand kilometers. Um, yowzers, but when you break it down into
0: days, it's kind of (laughs) okay. (laughs) Okay. Okay. If you say so, (laughs) sounds absolutely amazing. Now, talking of challenges and something, trying something new, um, challenge Katie as you know, I've been trying to do on, on the podcast. And I asked you to set me a challenge, Mm -hmm. which you have, I know about, and it's not very many people that tell me about it before. And I'm really excited. (laughs) So can you tell me what it is I have to do? I know what it is, but tell me for the sake of people listening.
1: (laughs) I want you to make an adventure short film.
0: Oh, so cool. I may need to like come back to you offline and, and like actually figure out how to do that. But yeah, like what what, what are my parameters? How long? What's this? What's the chat?
1: Oh, let's just, I mean, I'll say if you want, if you go short, short, then make it mm. two, three minutes. Mm-hmm. But I also don't want to restrict you in terms of if you just mm-hmm. find that it just goes on for longer, then let it go on for yeah. longer. Let the story sort of lead you um, into the the form that it wants to take rather than constricting it before you even started
0: is it okay if I get my 12 year old son to edit it for me because he's quite good at that sort of thing and I'm not 100% yeah (laughs) get him involved can I be executive producer and he just sort of does the technical part
1: yeah Um, the the dog's body work yeah absolutely that's that's not a problem
0: brilliant oh that is an absolute i love it i love it so much in fact well i mean i've never not loved any challenge i've been set but that is absolutely brilliant so i will do that that's great i will keep you up to speed with that i'm about to start my training for the marathon de sab so i might sort of base it around that that would be incredible i'd love to see that yeah but anyway thank you so i'm gonna put uh, we can find you on passionfruitpictures.co yes which I know is, uh yeah, not.com, not.co.uk, .co. And then we can find you on Instagram. Give us all the handles. Sure,
1: yeah. So on Instagram, you can find me personally at frit underscore tam. And then there is also passion fruit pictures on there too, which is at mm-hmm. passion fruit pictures underscore. Mm -hmm. then on facebook i have my glide for pride facebook page so if you search glide for pride you should be able to find that if there's any keen skaters Mm. who listen to your podcast and i've also set up Mm. a facebook group called skaters gonna skate which is
0: basically Uh, this uh,
1: super friendly supportive skating group um that essentially has kept me going throughout my training so if anyone Mm. would like to join that feel free Um, Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, as you said, um, the Passion Fruit Pictures website, which is www.passionfruitpictures.co.
0: Brilliant. Well, thank you so much. I I appreciate uh, all your time and your energy. I am aware that by asking you to do this, I've, you know, I've asked you to invest a bit of energy in educating me and my listeners. So I am very truly grateful for that because it's clearly not your job, but I do very much appreciate it.
1: Thank you. Just thank you for creating a comfortable space in order to talk about really personal topics. Um, I've listened to some of your other episodes too, and, and it's, just, it's just a comfortable, safe vibe that you create for your interviewees. So yeah, just thank you for providing that for me as well today.
0: My absolute pleasure. And I cannot wait to get filming and to follow your journey. It sounds absolutely brilliant. Good luck. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> I'm not going to need it, right? I'll be fine. No, no, not at all. (laughs) Not at all. I I wish you, um, may the wind always be at your back. There you go. There's a better one. Thank you. Yes. Although
1: at times if I'm going down a hill, I wouldn't mind if it was a headwind.
0: (laughs) I'm doomed. I'm doomed. I'm never, I'm just going to (laughs) say (laughs) bye-bye. Sorry.
1: (laughs) Ciao, bye. Amazing. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks for joining me. I'll be back next week with another incredible episode of Chatting to a Friend. In the meantime, please give us a follow on Instagram, Chatting to a Friend, for all the latest news. Bye-bye.